0: Well, good morning, sure, Uh, friends, family, anyone who is tuning in, if you're tuning in live right now and you're posting prayer requests or recording... um or commenting, just thanks for being here. If you are listening to this because someone sent you this message and you're visiting, I just wanna say thank you for taking your time uh, just to listen to this message. Uh, I'm excited sure today and for the next seven weeks, we are uh, starting a new series in the Psalms, a series called Flourishing in Self-Isolation. I just wanna tell you, I love the Psalms. They're these songs and, and prayers and poems. Just written from and erupting from real raw emotional places in people in, in people's souls. Um, you see this expression of, of faith towards God, of just pressing through in hardship. We see in the Psalms just this deep trust where, where where the psalmist cries out, God, where are are you? Where there's this eruption of worship. Um, I, I love it. The Psalms have this human experience where they they just let it all out and they let it all up to God. And then they look at who God is and they pull him in. And in that beautiful mixture, there's just this posture of surrender, this posture of worship, this posture of hope. And so uh, we need to bring in the nature and character of God in a time like this. And so I'm excited because if you're anything like me, what I do when I'm going through disappointment or anxiety or any kind of worry, what I like to do is I just bury it, okay? How many of you, you're barriers. You just, you keep it inside. You start talking in your own mind. You start justifying. You bury it and what you do when you bury it is you you have the shield you don't want to feel the anxiety you don't want more pain to be caused by it you don't want others to know that you're struggling on the inside but you just here's the problem you keep it in there and if you keep stuff in there, it'll just fester, it will just rot your heart. And what the psalmists do is they don't let you keep it in there. The psalmists are these explosions of this is what's hard, this is where my anxiety is, and this is what I need from you, God. And and I'm excited, I mean, you can, there'll, there'll be a little video below if you're interested in how the book of songs came together, what the whole book is all about, um, but for just this intro, what I want to do is just tell us so many people I know, um, we, let me put it this way, we know a lot about God. We, we know uh, it's good to process, right? We know that. We know it's good and that we were made to worship God, but here's the thing, some of us just don't do it. And, and we don't do it with Him, That is, so many of us, we know who God is. We know we need to process life with him, but we don't pull him in like the Psalms do. And so my prayer for us as we go into this series is that our intimacy with God would expand. That the more we go into these different Psalms, Psalms that I feel like the Lord has given me one by one to preach on, that that we would just surrender even more and we would see our intimacy with him just grow, okay? I've been saying a lot uh, at the shore recently about just laboring for that that intimacy and time with his presence. And that's what I'm hoping for. Just, you know, as I was prepping this intro and just thinking, why are we doing the Psalms? Uh, I felt the Holy Spirit just turn my gaze to my bookshelf, looked at a book called Knowledge of the Holy and uh, I turn to the preface, okay? Now, I never read prefaces. I don't, I don't know anyone who reads pref- prefaces. It may be Christina Hutchison, but like no one else does, okay? But, but listen to what A.W. Tozer writes in his preface of this book, and it'll be on the screen. He says, the message of this book does not grow out of these times, but it is appropriate to them. It is called forth by a condition which has existed in the church for some years and is steadily growing worse. I refer to the loss of the con- concept of majesty from the popular religious mind. The church, he says, has surrendered her once a lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low, so ignoble as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This the church has done not deliberately, but little by little and without her knowledge. And her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. The low view of God, entertained almost universally among Christians, is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us a whole new philosophy of the Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in our religious thinking. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence of intimacy. He says, we have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God, I love this phrase, sure, to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life in the spirit. The words be still and know that I am God mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in this middle period of the 20th century. I quote that because one of my goals when we go through the Psalms is to highlight and to marinate and to just spend time looking at different characteristics of the nature of God so that we who were made to worship can even worship him even more. That will lead to flourishing and self-isolation. I I want us to have the godness of God just rule our lives right now. I want to have what uh, A.W. Tozer calls this adoring silence in light of COVID-19. And so that's this series. Let me give you a quick picture of where we're going. You can see this uh, here on the screen. So today we're gonna look at Psalm 8. God is majestic. And then you can see God is holy. God is good. God is everlasting. God is faithful. God is gracious. God is wise. Okay, so that's where we're going. Um, What we're gonna do now is we're gonna read Psalm 8, but we have a special guest today who's gonna read Psalm 8. So Welcome, special guest.
1: Good morning, Short Church. This is Psalm 8 I'm going to read for you this morning. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.
0: Thank you. That is so good. What a great song. How many of you remember when you, when, when you heard this read? Uh, you know, the old, the, I don't know if you grew up Baptist. I grew up in a Baptist church where the old hymn would go, O oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is, come on, you guys can repeat it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so what David's doing? I love it in Psalm eight. Watch this—he's beginning with God's name. I just want you to notice this: the first words from this psalm are just God. God word. He says, "O Lord, my Lord." Right? It, it, and you can see it, this comes from a moment in verse three where he says, when I look at your heavens. Now you just need to imagine this. Uh, David is more than likely out in this beautiful field tending some sheep in the Middle East where there's no, you know, there's no pollution yet. I mean, he can just see the galaxy. He can see the night sky just lit up. He can see the stars. He says, when I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Now, although David is going to now spend most of the time wondering at God's majesty in his bestowing glory and honor on us human beings, I just want you to highlight this. He first begins, he first begins in this right place with a celebration of the surpassing majesty of God, which, which let me just say, places you and I within a cosmic framework correctly. We cannot understand us unless we see ourselves as God's creatures. We have to get the order right we have to get our purpose right. We are his creatures. We have to recognize that we have this crazy responsibility, though, under our creator. So before we get to that, let me just, let's just ask this question. What makes God majestic? Why, why is that the first thing he displays in his song to God? He begins and closes this song Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Well, it begins with his name. Uh, it's interesting here, this Hebrew scholars point out that there are two words for Lord, our Lord. The first one is in all caps. It's the translation of the name Yahweh. This is the personal name of Israel's God. In Exodus three fourteen, um, when asked, what is your name? He says, I am who I am. So God named himself Yahweh, that is, he's the absolute existing one. He's the one who simply is, who who did not come into being and does not go out of being. He never changes his being because he is absolute being. As one put it, uh, he depends on nothing for his being and all else depends on him. There is no place in all the earth where God is not Yahweh, where he is not the absolute one. Everywhere, everything depends absolutely on on Him, He is above all things everywhere. He sustains all things everywhere. He is the ground and the goal of all things everywhere. He is greater and wiser and more beautiful and wonderful than everything everywhere. That's the main point of this psalm. And the aim is that we stand in awe of him. And we worship him. David says, you have set your glory above the heavens. No, it's not just in the heavens or like arrayed through the heavens. Um, It's above the heavens. So when when you look at the stars at night, when we look at the galaxies, and here's some pictures that NASA uh, just put out in the last few months. When you look at this, and keep in mind, David did not have telescopes like this. But when you look at this, David says, that's just partial revelation of the surpassingly greater God who stands behind it. It's just greater the God behind it. Uh, I don't know if you're like watching a ton of Netflix shows right now. Uh, one of the shows we started watching with as a family is this uh, show called Lego, Builder? Lego Masters, I think it's called. It's this, you know, uh, reality show where they have these competitions of who can build the coolest Lego sets, and they have different themes each time. Well, the grand finale was just a few days ago, uh, and they said, you guys can build whatever you want. And so, these these scenes that they made are phenomenal. They would make these whole worlds... um, and, 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 it, and it's amazing. One of the things, though, that struck me yesterday uh, was when they were judging the finals, when they were picking the winner, one of their criteria was, we want you to build something that reflects you. And, and there's this one tower of this art, it's called Artopia, of, of this beautiful, like, Uh, tower of Lego, you just gotta see it. But anyways, um, the judges would look at it and say, this piece of land, this world that you created is beautiful because it reflects uh, you, these Lego master builders. It it shows off, this is who you are. We can see who they are, their personality in what they built. And this is what David is seeing that night. See, when we speak of the majesty of God, of being set above the heavens, the Bible is speaking to his glorious rule, his complete dominion uh, or, or eminence. The majesty of God is as essential to his being as his love, his power, his eternity. Mark Jones in his book, God Is, says if he does not possess dominion or majesty, he is not God. Because God has infinite power, eternal goodness, and unchangeable omniscience, he must necessarily be supremely majestic. I would add not only to that, but as he exercises his majesty, as he sets his glory above the heavens as he exercises his dominion, his other attributes like his wisdom, his love, righteousness, and goodness, they're all present. And here's what this means. It means that his dominion cannot be tyrannical. It cannot be oppressive or unmerciful, but it's perfectly good. It's perfectly just, and it's perfectly wise. That's what he sees when he sees those stars. I say all this because we need, like David in our worship of God, we need to remember above it all, who's on the throne. Like who is on the throne right now? That's who's ruling, right? God is never nervous. He is not reactive or or on edge. He's infinitely wise infinitely omnipotent, infinitely happy in himself, overall majestic. When David uh, is commissioning Solomon to build the temple and he gathers everyone and puts them in the right uh, place and what they're going to do in terms of building the temple and and the worship leaders and everything, he he begins to describe this majesty of the Lord. And what he does is he just prays this blessing over the whole thing. And I want you to listen to his blessing to God, what he blesses God. He says this, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, and is the power, and is the glory, and the victory, and the, what's our word, sure? Majesty. For, that's all his, how do we know? For, all that is in the heavens and in the earth is Yours, yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all, and then listen to what happens next, verse 13. Nah, and we thank you. woo. We thank you, our God, and, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you. Even the breath and the brains and the life to enjoy your majesty is from you and of your own have we given you? Let me just say one reality that ought to flow into our souls creating this awe and ought. Out of this Psalm is this, if this being is over us and he made us and his majesty and he cares deeply as Psalm eight says about us then all Other things that we have in our lives must, they have to be subservient to knowing him and seeking his reign and worshiping him. Flourishing begins there. And you know, like, just one practical thought. Uh, I remember about two summers, maybe three summers ago, uh, when our kids were a little younger, I would put them to bed and I would race to my car and I would drive all the way out to Whitecliffe Beach just so I could just sit on that rock and watch the sunset. And I remember just, I would race, I would be so excited. I, I was just, I couldn't wait to be with the Lord. And I just, when I was studying this, I just thought, when was the last time you just wanted to go outside and just, and just, look up again at the stars you know did you ever just get out at night to be with God when was the last time you know you just said honey I I just think I need about like an hour I want to go drive out to Britannia and just gaze at the mountains again right and your wife's probably like you shouldn't be gazing at the mountains (laughs) you should be looking at the road but but you know like when do we do that You know, where do we go out again? There's this moment for David of praise that comes from an intentional gaze. And, And let me just say, one of the key indicator lights to knowing that you need this gaze again is anxiety. When you begin to feel anxiety, you know you need this. Let me just say, you can't afford to ignore anxiety. So that's just one verse. Verse two, uh, he goes on. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now this is strange, okay? This is strange. But it, in, in Hebrew, it actually reads, "You have established praise to still the enemy, not just strength." God's majesty is seen in his ability to put worship. And a worshipful heart in the soul of a baby and who will God, if God wants praise, he can do that in the mouth of the baby. And that baby will give, be the strength when he's older to conquer his enemies. Now we don't know how David's applying that, but really, really cool. Jesus quotes this psalm in one of the most beautiful, fulfilling ways. It just happened a few weeks ago. So on Palm Sunday, um, I don't know if you remember this, but after he rides in on a donkey, and you know, everyone's just singing Hosanna, he goes into the temple, he heals the blind and the, the lame who come to him. And while that's happening, there's children who are at, this, at the triumphal entry, there's children there and they're praising it. They keep praising him, right? Kids, just so you know, you would have loved praising Jesus. But this makes, okay, in this case, his avengers and enemies, the, the chief priests and the teachers, furious. Like, they are, they're mad. And what's Jesus say to them? He quotes Psalm 8. He says, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? So David's not only amazed at God's majesty in, in what he made as he looks up in the heavens, but in this moment, as he's staring that, he's, he's amazed that God's given him that ability to worship, that God's given him this bestowing on humanity, this type of care and love. He gets this revelatory experience where he knows this is all for them. And, and he just has this more where he goes out and he's like, verse four, you can see it on the screen. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Now, the son of man here in this context is referring not to Jesus, uh, but to humanity. One translates this, what is man that you should note him and the human creature that you paid him heed? He, he just, he's like, who are we? Like, who are we? Like, I just look at this galaxy, and I'm like, who are we that God would take note of me and move towards us with this concern and attention? But he does, and he just, he marvels there. I appreciate one pastor who said, we need to know someone sees us as so special and so precious that their minds are dominated with us. We are so precious and so unusual and so magnificent that we dominate the mind of God. Like you dominate his mind, he's fully attentive to you. He hasn't hasn't stopped looking and, and being fully dominated with thoughts of you for a moment. He's never distracted, he's never checking his phone, he cares about you. Like, who am I? I mean, have you ever had that moment? I'm serious. Like, where you you were just outside, or maybe you were camping, and you just go like, "Man, we're so these specks. We're so small." And then all of a sudden, you know, Casting Crowns comes in your head. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Anybody? Come on. Anyone that need to sing that song? Who am I? that the lord of all the earth i would totally pan the camera to jill right now because she's laughing but more than likely my wife's making fun of me care to know my name you care to feel come on guys all of us my herd. not be anyways all right let's keep going um but but that's this moment who am i um Listen listen to what David knows. David knows his Bible. David knows his Bible. He knows uh, he is an image bearer of God. David knows as he looks up to the heavens and he's thinking about, man, like that being who created, he knows Genesis 1, he created that world and he said in Genesis 1, that's good. But when he made us, he said it was very good. Genesis 1 27 says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. What David gets in this moment is that he is second place next to God. In other words, you are above the galaxy in your value in your worth, in your attentiveness. I mean, that blows his mind that he made all that for his glory. But next to his own glory, it's us. What what this passage is saying is that we are his work of art, that we are a precious work of art. The image of God means like God, we have a rational aspect, right? We hunger to learn and to know things. We have a personal aspect. We, we have this hunger to love and be loved. We have an eternal aspect. We have this hunger to just last. We hate the idea of death, right? We wanna do something that counts and lasts. We, we, we create meaning. You know, we 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 go out and we bang our pots and pans at seven p.m. because we just know, like, there's just meaning in what's happening right now. What how we're responding. We know it matters. We know life matters. We have we also have this creative aspect. We love to build. We love we love to plant gardens and to dance and to create and to. You know, we're just short of divinity. We're below the divinity, but above all of the rest of the created order. This is what he goes on to say. You have dominion over the fish in the sea. We have dominion over the land. We have dominion over under God. It's us. I just want to say a side note here. Um, Some have suggested this is why Satan rebelled. We we ultimately don't have the answer in the scriptures, but but some say that God's plan to make a creature superior to the angels, because the angels are not They're just spirit beings. They don't have body and the breath and the image of God. This is what led to Satan's rebellion and fall. He hated God's creatures because he hates God and we are in his image. It also makes sense to borrow from one that Satan's greatest psychological weapon is a gut level feeling of inferiority, inadequacy, and low self-worth. Okay, if you're feeling those things in your gut that you're nobody, That you're inadequate? That's not truth before God. Yes, look, we have made a mess of our sin. Yes, we're gonna see another one who was made lower than the angels for us. But some of you need to hear this. The idea of you began in God's heart. He chose what sperm would make that egg? You're his work of art. He loves your body. He loves your name. He, he's not obsessing over your sin. He said in First John 4 that he, Jesus is your advocate. In 1 John 4, it, he, that, that means anytime you sin, he, he says, I've paid for that. He says that to you. And he says, when you just get that out and you confess it, it's, it's done. He's not wishing you were someone else. You're, you're not what your parents said you weren't. You are his work of art. You are his artwork and his redemption was settled for you at the cross your value was settled at the cross, you hear anything else, that's not biblical. And it's not from God. If in a fit of rage, one of your spouses or, or a fit of worry or anxiety tells you that you have, are a piece of garbage, that is not truth before God. The key to our purpose and flourishing is who we're worshiping. It's who we're imaging. We have to like David begin with the majesty of God. We can't get the order wrong. We can't lose sight of God when we're not getting our sense of identity and worth from him. Listen, the only other direction to get it from is here. Us and really to the animal kingdom and this is what evolution is all about. I mean you eliminate God and evolution is the only theory left. We're, 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 you know, according to evolution, we are only slightly advanced beasts. Since we see ourselves as beasts, we begin to behave like beasts. And sadly, we behave worse than beasts, for we end up doing the things animals would never even dream of doing. We, we can't get the order wrong. We can't get the order wrong. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a place in Daniel Uh, Daniel chapter four, where, you know, uh, the king of Babylon in that moment, he's just, he's so proud of what he's done. He turns his back on any any kind of uh, acknowledgement that there is a God. And in such a place of pride, listen, these verses go together. We read this. He gets out in front and he looks at the great capital of his empire and he says this, quote, Daniel, Daniel 4.30, is not this, the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence. How many of us have looked at our stuff, have looked at our businesses, have looked at our families, have looked at all of our accomplishments and said, look what I have built by my mighty power and whose glory and for the glory of of my, what's the word? Majesty. Next verse. By the way, you couldn't get more, t- you couldn't get closer to secular humanism, describing creation as of man by man and for man's glory, than that sentence. But look at what happens next. The true majesty speaks. As the words are, as the words are still on his lips, a voice comes from heaven and says, "This is." What is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar? Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes, and that happens immediately. What is man that you are mindful of him? So one of the questions I ask is how mindful is God? Well, our, our thoughts of us dominate his mind. Psalm 139 says he actually knows a thought before it's on your, in your mind. It's crazy. But he's mindful enough to know our sin. He's mindful enough to know where we would be in light of COVID-19. He's mindful enough that we would, while diminishing his value, spitting in his face, pushing away his presence, ignoring his reign, we would turn our backs on God. He's mindful enough to know our sin in light of his goodness and justice, deserves good punishment. He's mindful enough to know what we need most to be with him in all of that. He knows, he's mindful enough to know that what we need most to be with him is someone else like us. To get us cleansed. To get us free. To get our true worship and majesty. He's mindful enough that we, <clears throat> that he knows we need someone else. The author of Hebrews says, was also made lower than the angels. Speaking of Jesus, the author of Hebrews writes this in, in Hebrews 2, seven to nine. You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Nothing. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, right? We're there now. But we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Crowned with glory. Those words are in Psalm 8. We were were crowned with glory. He's crowned with glory. We made a mess of our sin. God sends Jesus, crowns him with glory. And what happens in honor? Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Philippians 2 says, in being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, the majesty, the greatest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, majesty over our sin, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. What this means is all existing powers on earth and in the heavenly realms are called to yield to him. All authority in heaven has been given to me, Jesus says. By the way, it doesn't matter what he says next. He just says that, everything bows and yields. Everything. And it's in this new crowning of glory, this new victory that we are now crowned under. Those who are second place under God have now a new righteousness, a new inheritance, and we are now declared to be and and bring into the world a new redeeming kingdom. We're called now under, under second place. We're called to with him set captives free with his authority to restore the brokenhearted we, we flourish when we under his dominion of the gospel of grace call men and women to repent and to believe. See, Jesus is saying the kingdom is advancing, it's breaking in now and, and is doing. he's doing all this through us. The call of God on our lives is to be a part of the redeeming of all things. And there's never a time to bless people with Jesus than now. There's never a time to point to the greatest value of the glory of the majesty of God than now. Let me just close with just a few thoughts on Psalm eight. Maybe just a few practical thoughts that'll, that'll lead us to a place of flourishing in self-isolation. Number one, we flourish uh, when we acknowledge his majesty is on the throne. Um, you can give him the unknown. You can surrender um, all the control that is just crumbling under our feet. Let me, Let me just ask you this: What are you trying to control right now? What are you trying to? And, and you haven't told anyone, but you you just you can feel the anxiety rupturing in you because you're just trying to be in control. Can I, just, can I just tell you and implore you to get outside, look up and then just share that with the majesty on high? Because he really, really cares for you. Hebrew says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. By the way, acknowledging is, is, is vocal, it's a vocal thing. Sometimes I think we just say thoughts to God and he, he does hear your thoughts. But there's something that happens when you say out loud, God, I can't control this. God, I I give this up to you. God, I'm not in control. I'm trying to control this and I confess I'm not on the throne. I wanna surrender it to you. Oh Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Second, I think we need to remember your second place. We we have work to do, under the dominion of our King Jesus, and I think too many of us live in these kind of self um, introspective, you know, self obsessed, self condemning places, and we just we're, we're so focused on on how what we're missing out, and um and and the whole time what we're missing in our souls in that moment is what we were made to do, worship. Some of us just need to, to get along with some of our favorite worship songs again and begin to just worship God. Just worship God. And know that he's, that he's chasing after you. Know that he really, really does love you. We need to get the order right he loves to meet you. He's ready. In, uh, in a sermon I was listening to this week, uh, the pastor quoted from uh, a guy named Stephen Charnock and he writes this, speaking of the prodigal son and the father, he is the true father that hath a quicker pace in meeting than the prodigal hath in returning. He runs to us quicker than we run to him. So just adore again. Take time to worship. You know, like I mean, like I said this already, but just put on some worship music and just go. Adore. Just go be with him in his presence. Think of his majesty. Ask him. This week I said, God, would you show me your majesty and he'll give you verses. He'll, he'll speak to you in that quiet time in, in your word. He'll, he'll, he will. Sure, we have one goal in this life, his majesty. We have one pursuit to enjoy his presence. On, on the night before uh, brother Lawrence passed away, a brother asked him if he were at ease, he asked him if he were at ease and what his mind was occupied with. So you're, you're dying, you're in so much pain, what are you thinking about? This is Brother Lawrence's reply, it'll be on the screen. I am doing what I shall do through all eternity. Blessing God, praising God, adoring God, giving him the love of my whole heart. It's our business, my brothers, to worship him and love him without thought of anything else let's pray father i just i confess that lord i i too often am not thinking your thoughts about me. I'm not thinking high thoughts about you. I am trying to be my own majesty rather than adoring and praising mm. your majesty. God, release us from our own majesties here and tune our souls so that no matter what is being done, Taken, no matter what we're going through, no matter how stressed, even the small things, like even little things, like just homeschooling now through just computer screens and and having to work from home, and the little things of just may, may in all these stressful times, may we just adore you afresh. May we just come into your presence, God. And I just I want to pray for the shore in Jesus' name. I pray a blessing on them. May may this week be filled with greater worship of you. May when people ask us, hey, what are you thinking about? What is your mind occupied with during COVID-19? Our reply would be, oh, I'm doing what I shall do through all eternity. Blessing God, praising God, adoring God, giving him the love of my whole heart. And I pray this blessing on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our God is great. Let's now stand together and sing how great thou art.